ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians. We will be reading in Ephesians chapter 6. Um, we only have two weeks left in Ephesians, guys. This is, uh, this is pretty exciting. This is the, I think this is the longest sermon series that we've done so far. Um, say what? If you want to. We, we are going to do Psalms at some point and Proverbs as well. I have, I have in my brain right now a curriculum of different books of the Bible for the next six years uh, that, uh, that I have planned out for us. Um, yeah, yeah, you'll all be gone. But uh, <laughs> uh, we'll see, we'll see. Um, all right, so with that said, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Um, we are going to be reading the first nine verses together. And this is what God's word says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way or by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, This he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. And masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you uh, that you have given us uh, the Bible. Lord, we are grateful that we don't have to figure out um, how to live life on our own. Um, We don't have to feel the pressure, Lord, of trying to figure out, you know, who we are and and what our purpose is. But Lord, you graciously, even in this book that we've been studying, have revealed our identity in Christ. Lord, and you have revealed uh, your purposes for us as your children. And so, God, as we uh, begin to, to uh, dive into this passage, I pray that you would be speaking to our hearts. God, I pray that you would show us our need to hear the message of this passage of Scripture. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, one of my favorite movies, I might get in trouble for recommending this, uh, one of my favorite movies is Saving Private Ryan. How many of you guys have seen this movie? Okay. Two of you. Cool. Um, so the story of Saving Private Ryan is, uh, is it's pretty, uh, it's a pretty cool story. Essentially, um, the movie kind of details the, uh, the journey of this, this army unit that is going to rescue this young private. Now, the reason that this private is being rescued, and this is set in the middle of World War II, is because 
um, there's these generals and, and all these higher up people um, who have realized that there's this mother back home in America who has sent all of her boys out into, uh, into the war and all of them are dead except for this last son. And so they, having compassion on this mother, decided, you know what? We need to bring Private Ryan home. We need to not let this woman lose her last child. And so it, it kind of details this, this journey of this army unit that's, that's traveling behind enemy lines and they're encountering opposition and all these things. And they're searching for, in the middle of a war. They're searching for this one soldier. Um, and there is a, a scene that happens there where the, uh, the soldiers, they're beginning to kind of question um, whether or not this is the, the best move and the best use of their time as a, you know, as a military unit. Um, and uh, so Captain Miller, who's played by Tom Hanks, uh, the, the, the people who are under him, they come to him and they're like, well... You know what? What would you say if I was uh, if I was a higher rank than you? Um, would you? Uh, and they're basically they're trying to get him to complain about the mission. Okay, and he uh, is just this awesome man of integrity. And he's like, if you were a you know a higher up and, and I was a lowly private, he would say, I think this is an excellent mission, sir, worthy of my best efforts, sir. And moreover, I feel genuine sorrow. For the mother of James Private Ryan, and so the the attempts by the by the men that are under him to to kind of uh, rebel against authority, he kind of he kind of puts the kibosh on it and basically is like, yeah, no. When an order comes down from above, we uh, who are under that authority, we obey that order because this is our duty, right? And in tonight's passage, and even in last week's passage, um, really what is being talked about is the Christian's relationship to authority. And we live in the midst of a culture that has a huge authority problem. It is amazing when you study how the, the different shifts of authority that have happened just throughout the ages. You saw in previous centuries, there was a, it was like God is the ultimate authority. That was kind of just the generally accepted rule, right? But then slowly with like the age of the enlightenment and stuff, it was like the center of authority moved from God to science. Now science is the authority and to somewhat that's kind of the thing, but it's not really how it is nowadays. And so, you know, with the age of enlightenment, it was all about, you know, what you could see and prove and, you know, science is the ultimate uh, determiner of what is true. But with the recent age, if you've, if you've come uh, to our book study on Tuesday nights, which I highly encourage you to do, um, it's on Tuesday nights at uh, six o'clock here. here? Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, We've been going through this book that has kind of talked about uh, the, another shift that has happened from this this emphasis on science being the authority. Now that that center of authority has moved instead of outward, it has moved inward, and so now we often see ourselves culturally, and it is crazy how this uh, happens subtly, even in our own lives, because we're sinners, <laughs> spoiler alert, um, how we, uh, we adopt this worldview that, that we are the determiner of what is true and right. 
And the Bible teaches something totally different. The Bible presents us with a worldview that God is the supreme authority. He is over all things. He uh, works all things according to the counsel of his will. Um, Everything that God decrees to happen will happen, right? He is the ultimate authority in this universe. But not only that, we read in passages like Romans 13 and in this passage and in other, pa- in other passages in Scripture that teach us that God has not only established uh, or has not only revealed that he is the ultimate authority, but he has actually established other authority structures in our world. Uh, the, there's three main ones that are typically uh, talked about. You have the, the authority structure of the, the family, right? The family meaning fathers and mothers. Um, then you have the authority structure of the church. You have the elders and the deacons. And then you have the civil government, which the Lord also established. You see that in uh, the fact that he allowed Israel to have a king um, and you see that God actually um, ha- establishes the civil, the civil authority structure as well. And the worldview that, that the Bible presents to us is that authority is not a threat to you, okay? It's not, God has not intended that the people in authority over you uh, should take away your happiness or should take away your rights, but how God intends for authority to be used is for the good of others. That is the ultimate aim of authority, is that uh, every authority, if it is good authority, it will reflect God's authority. And if we think about how God, how God displays his authority... It's in the service of other people. And we'll, we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit. Um, but what I want us to take away as our main theme from this message and from this passage is this, is that the gospel changes our approach to authority. The gospel changes our approach to authority. Now, to remind you guys where we have been at, chapters 1, 2, and 3, are basically talking about the amazing grace of God, about how God had purposed in his heart to pour out grace on your life and on my life before he created anything, which is amazing in and of itself. That's chapter one. Chapter two is talking about how uh, God, so chapter one is, uh, actually Pastor Carl kind of gave me this cool outline. It's like chapter one is God chose me. Chapter two is God saves me. And chapter three is God gives me a family. And so uh, basically what these first three chapters are really trying to talk about is they're trying to unpack for us the amazing grace of God. And then Paul kind of flips a switch in chapters four, five, and six. And he says, because all of these things are true, you should be this kind of person in response to these truths. And the reason that that is, is because you can tell whether or not you believe something by how you behave. So belief and behavior are directly tied to one another. So for instance, if I claim to be a Christian, um, but then I run around 
stealing things from the store or whatever. Just trying to think of an outrageous example. If I have a kleptomania problem, um, but that is an inconsistency. I, as a Christian, I would claim to believe that stealing is wrong, right? That's, that's what the Bible says. It says stealing is wrong. It's a sin. Uh, thou shalt not steal. Um, and so behavior cannot be separated from what we believe. The what you do reveals what you actually believe in that moment, okay? And so what Paul is doing in chapters 4, 5, and 6 is he's, he's sharing with these Ephesians, and he's saying, these are the kinds of people, this is the kind of person that you should be if you really believe this stuff in 1, 2, and 3, okay? Now, in chapter 5, he gets into kind of latter half of five and, and part of six here, he kind of gets into uh, now, if, if the gospel really changes everything, it also changes our approach to authority figures in our lives. And so we should ask the question, what does this passage teach us about authority? What does it teach us about how the Christian should relate to authority? And believe it or not, I've actually only got two points for us tonight. Crazy. Um, but... Uh, Point number one is this. When we are under authority, we must respect it. When we are under authority, we must respect that authority. And second point is this, is that when we are in authority, we must reflect God's authority. When we are in authority, we must reflect God's authority. Let's talk about that first one. When we are under authority, we must respect it. Look with me at verse 1. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Verse 3. Actually, end of verse 2. This is the first commandment with a promise. Verse 3. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Drop down to verse 5 there. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. And then 6 and 7 and 8 then, then begin to describe why you should and, and what it should look like for these particular individuals to obey their earthly authority. Now, I want to give just a little bit of a side note here. A lot of times when we see masters and slaves in Scripture, we will impose a uh, 18th century understanding of American slavery here in America. Um, that is not the type of slavery that was being practiced in the first century, okay? It's a different, kind of the closest equivalent that we might be able to, to think about in our modern context would be the relationship between the boss and the employee, okay? So it's not, it's not uh, as though this is the, the type of horrific slavery that we saw um, in, our, uh, in our own history. But what we need to recognize here is that there are two, there's two groups that are mentioned here. There's children, and then there are bondservants or slaves. And what's really interesting is that Paul actually spends a lot more time, I don't know if you guys noticed this, giving them, uh, telling them not just what to do, 
right? Not just telling them to obey, but also telling them why or how they should obey it. If you look at verse two there, he says, honor your father and mother. Now that's different than obey your father and mother because obey your father and mother is something that you do externally, okay? They tell you to do the dishes and you know you do the dishes, right? Now it's different for them to tell you to do the dishes and you, out of love for your parents and, and out of uh, a desire to submit to them as an authority, you desire to honor them. You say, yes, Father, I love you. I would love to do the dishes for you. Uh, that is a different attitude than, let's say, uh, just blind obedience. Okay? That is a different attitude. And that attitude or the absence of it makes all the difference in the world. Because one of the things that God continually condemns his Old Testament people for is the fact that they, they profess faith in him. They, they even obey the law to some extent, right? They give this obedience. But what does Jesus, what does he say to these Pharisees? He says, you, uh, you confess me, you, you profess to love me, but your hearts are far from me. And so what Paul is doing through this passage, and if you look even in verse 5, it says, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, right? And so Paul is talking about not just what you should do, but how you should do it. The manner in which you do it is just as important as the obedience, and this is, I was trying to be clever in the way that I thought of the, that, I, that I articulated this, but obedience that bypasses the heart is pretense, okay? Obedience that bypasses the heart is pretense. In other words, it's just a show. God has created us in this really unique way that we are thinking, feeling, and doing individuals, okay, and willing. And so... If you give intellectual agreement to something, but you do not delight in doing that thing for God, that's not obedience. Because God wants our hearts and not just our wills. God wants our hearts and not just your obedience. Think about it like this. If you uh, have ever seen like some of those old like Western movies where you have like a train, a train robbery that's happening and you have the, the desperados that, that ride up alongside the train and they are you know, trying to steal stuff, right? And so imagine that these, uh, that these uh, desperados, they get up on the train and then they unhinge the engine and they let that go, okay? What's going to happen to, that, to the, the rest of the train? Well, it's eventually going to come to a stop. Right. There's, there's really two options, okay? If you are on kind of like a level, a level ground, it'll eventually kind of just roll to a stop. But let's say you're on like a steep hill. Then probably turn into a huge mess, turn into a crash, right? And the reason for that is what? There's no engine anymore. There's no brakes and there's no engine. Well, technically, if you unhinge on hill, it's just going to stay pushed up against it and they break the... Thing just crushes in, it's not probably attached. But eventually, once it does get to more level area or an uphill, it will attach. 
<laughs> it's, a, it's just an illustration. Don't, don't overanalyze. <laughs> uh, um, but the, the, point, the point is this. Eventually, you, you have to live your Christian life with your heart in it, with your love in it, with your affections for God in it. Because if you do not engage the heart, eventually you will begin to slowly slide into a life of disobedience. Because uh, guilt and shame and condemnation are bad motivators. Those do not create a life of holiness. Those do not create a life that desires to follow Jesus. You know what, you know what motivates a life to, to follow Jesus? Love for Jesus. That's, that's the big difference here. And that's really what Paul is talking about in this situation with, um, with, these, uh, with children and with the, the bond servants in this situation. Is he's ultimately saying, he's saying, children, when you obey your parents, look at that. It says, in the Lord. So his emphasis is not on, uh, not on just obedience to the immediate authority, but it's in recognition uh, that the authority that is over you is put there by God. And so when we rebel against the authorities that God has placed over us, we are rebelling against God. Specifically, I have in mind parents, given our current context here. Um, but I, I think that also can apply to governing authorities and to, you know, police officers. I mean, if 2020 showed us anything, is that there is a huge, huge issue with a lack of respect for authority figures, particularly police officers. And without, I mean, I know that that's a complicated issue, but the reality is, is like, if we as Christians, if we believe that God is sovereign, that all things proceed according to the counsel of his will, that nothing happens apart from his divine decree, then whatever authority is in your life is there because God intended for it to be there. And so when you rebel against that authority, when you complain against that authority, what you are essentially saying is, God, I hate your authority. I hate your rule and reign over me. And the reality is, is this is all of us at some point in time, whether that's a moment where, you know, your parents ask you to do something, you're like, gosh, I don't, I don't want to do that. And then it turns into this big blow up or whether it's uh, even if you do the thing that your parents want you to do, but your heart isn't in it and you're grumbling the whole time, whether verbally or in your heart. That is still a rejection of God's authority over you and a disrespect of the authority that God has placed in your life. And the wonderful thing is, is that Jesus knew that you and I would be like this. He was not surprised by our rebellion and our disrespect for the authority figures in our lives. And that is why Jesus, one of the reasons why Jesus came. Jesus came and submitted himself not only to the will of the Father, but also to the law that he wrote. Did you guys ever think about that? The fact that Jesus, that God, the, the triune God, I'm going to use a big word there, but you know, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are responsible for the law, for giving Israel the law. And Jesus 
the author of that law came and subjected himself under that authority. But not only that, we see that Jesus subjected himself to the governing authorities that were over him to the point that he allowed them to kill him. And I, yes, I purposely use the word allow because Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And if I lay it down, I'll take it back up. It's the most like baller thing anybody has ever said. I love, I love that scene. But this is how the gospel, this is where the gospel comes in because in those moments when you are either uh, outright or in your heart rebelling against the authority, we have a savior, Jesus, who shows us what it looks like to submit to authority, to respect authority. And he was willing to respect the authorities that were over him because he knew that you and I would fail in this area. And not only was he willing to uh, be subjected to these authorities, to, to come under them and respect them, but he also was willing to allow them to kill him, to pay the penalty for our sins, for our rebellion against God's authority. And so my question for us is, um, when you think about the authorities in your life, do you obey and respect them? Do you obey and respect your teachers? Do you obey and respect your parents? Do you obey and respect governing authorities? Do you obey and respect police officers? And this is, this is what I want you guys to remember is that God isn't just after your obedience in these things. He isn't just after you uh, blindly obeying these authorities. But what he wants is your heart so deeply in love with Jesus that you, that you say, my respect of this authority flows from a loving trust in Jesus, recognizing that he is the one who has placed this authority over me. And so the gospel is what actually helps us to respect the authorities that are over us when we are under someone else's authority. But not only that, so that's, that's how we live when we are under authority, okay? But let's talk about, so what do we do when we are in a place of authority, okay? Uh, for some of you, that might be a little bit hard to imagine right at this moment. Um, but we'll talk about some instances maybe where in you know, your life right now, you do have some measure of authority. But let's talk, about, let's talk about the fact, this is point number two, that when we are in authority, we must reflect God's authority. Look with me at verse four there. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then drop down to verse nine. It says, masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. In other words, God doesn't look at you like you're a master and you're a slave and I'm gonna treat you with a little bit of favoritism and you not so much. But what he's saying there is he's saying God doesn't, doesn't see in those categories. You know what he sees? 
If you are his child, he sees his beloved child. He doesn't see in the categories of male and female and uh, slave, master, or Jew and Gentile. He sees sons and daughters bought with the precious blood of Christ. But one of the things that we need to, to notice here is that when giving the instruction to the fathers, he says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the what? The Lord. It's the Lord who, who is the authority figure, and the Father is under the authority figure of Jesus Christ, okay? And he is now giving the instructions of Jesus Christ to his children. In the same, and in a similar way, we see uh, that with the masters, he says, uh, stop threatening. In other words, it seems that there is some sort of an issue that's happening in the Ephesian church where masters are threatening those that are underneath them and they are not exercising authority in an appropriate way. And so threatening is not how we exercise authority and neither is provoking. What's interesting about the word provoking there is when this same word is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, it's actually used several times in the narratives when Israel uh, provokes the Lord by their rebelliousness, by their disobedience. In other words, what, uh, what Paul and the Holy Spirit are trying to communicate through this is that there is a right way to exercise authority which is not through provoking, it's not through, uh, um, not through irritating someone or, or uh, if I use the phrase browbeating, do you guys know what that means? Uh, okay, it's not through like you know, <clears throat> smacking them on the head and trying to get them in line, but rather when you are in authority and when specifically when Paul is speaking to these two examples of authority figures, he's saying that your authority should reflect God's authority. If we think about it like this, when you are in an authority position and you browbeat, you uh, uh, domineer, you uh, treat harshly, it's kind of like one of those carnival mirrors when you, uh, if you look at your reflection, you're kind of like all squiggly and you look weird and it's, or if, or if you're like your head's like really big. Like it's not an accurate reflection, right? Because authority in, in, in the lower sense of it, in the, the, when it is exercised in this world is supposed to be a reflection of God's authority. And so when we exercise authority in a way that is inconsistent with how God has uh, called us to exercise that authority, it distorts, it doesn't accurately portray what God is like. And so there's a the big difference between one of those carnival mirrors that makes you all squiggly and then a bathroom mirror, which is an accurate reflection of who you are. And in a similar way, what... Paul is calling these, these authority figures to, fathers and, and masters, is he's saying, you guys need to exercise your authority in a way that reflects Jesus. Use your authority to serve, to share, to show kindness. Reflect God's authority in that way. 
And for you guys, you are in, uh, some of you are either going to be in positions of authority, you're going to be parents one day, and this is preparatory for you. Um, or you, even now, some of you are, uh, in a more practical sense, you are a part of friend groups, and you are, maybe you're one of those people that's a little bit more influential than some of the other, the other people in that group. That is, while it is not an, an official authoritative position, it is a position in some way that the people around you have, have offered to you. And so you need to be wise about the way that you use that authority. And so the way that you should use that authority is not in... Uh, provoking people. It's not in making fun of people. It's not in uh, boys. It's not in uh, you know, making, so, making fun of each other and uh, peer pressuring people into doing silly things, right? But rather, you, if you are someone who is more influential in your friend group, what God is calling you to is to be an example of what it looks like to sacrificially love, to sacrificially love, to serve the people around you to serve those people that maybe are a little bit more impressionable, that are looking to you, especially you upperclassmen. And once again, this is, where, this is where the gospel really comes into play, and it really shows us what authority looks like, what real authority, what God's authority looks like when he exercises it. If you turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 13 with me, um, go ahead and turn there. This is what it looks like to exercise authority the way that God exercises authority. John chapter 13. We will read, uh, start reading in verse 1 there. And it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, that is Jesus, this is, this is the, the important verse right here. I mean, they're all important, but this is the one that I'm really highlighting. Verse 3, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God, so armed with this knowledge of all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him, what does he do next? Verse 4, it says, He rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And when he poured water into a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And this is what authority looks like in the hands of God. This is what authority looks like in the hands of God. You see, you don't see Jesus uh, domineering over these, over these disciples. Um, instead, what you see, you see Jesus uh, with, armed with the knowledge that literally everything in the universe is under his control. Okay? You see him armed with that knowledge. He gets up and he decides that he's going to be an example of what it looks like to serve. That he's going to be an example of what it looks like uh, to show that there is no job that is so low that he is not willing to 
show love and do that job. And so this is the example that we have in the gospel. We see that God wields his ultimate authority for the good of others and not for personal gain. And so when you leave tonight and you go back into your weekly routines, I want you guys to be thinking about the example of Jesus in the gospel. I want you to think about the fact that Jesus shows you how to use your influence, use your authority, whatever that may look like, that will ultimately point others to Jesus. And so my question for you as we're reflecting on this passage is, um, are you reflecting God's authority in your sphere of influence? Are you reflecting God's authority in your sphere of influence? Or are you trying to get your own way and thinking mostly of yourself in those situations? We'll close with, with this, this reminder that just as Captain Miller in Saving Private Ryan talks about there's this, this chain of command, there is this reality that authority is something that is good and God has, has given it to us to, to benefit us, it can be used in a right way, it can be used in a wrong way. And so we, who have been changed by the gospel, if you are a Christian here in this room, our approach to authority now is different because we believe the gospel, because we believe that Jesus is the suffering servant who laid aside his glory The king of all creation laid aside his crown, servant to the Father's love. I want to finish with one last last section of scripture here. This is from Mark 10. It says this. It says, Jesus called them together, talking about the disciples, and he says, you know the rulers in this world, they lord it over other people. And officials flaunt their authority over those that are under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So my encouragement for us as we move into this next uh, section of the evening in our small groups, be thinking about Christ, be thinking about Jesus and his example in the gospel, because as we look to him, we see that there is a new approach to authority that comes through faith in the gospel. Let's pray.